0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. We have a fascinating civil rights attorney and advocate on the show today. Before I go to him, we got something for you, here it is.
1: This is a case where plain police officers snuck into my client's house through a window, searched his house without a warrant or other legal justification, found nothing and left. But they got caught on hidden surveillance cameras. I'm just gonna watch you go out to make sure everything's good, okay? Mm-hmm. On October twenty fifth, 2022, she filed a federal Section 1983 lawsuit against the city of Fayetteville, the chief of police, Officer Haddock, and Detective Amanda Bell. There are three primary civil rights violations here under federal law. Unreasonable search and seizure under the Fourth Amendment for the initial seizure and then the prolonged detention, excessive force under the Fourth Amendment for the manner in which Miss Dunlap was taken into custody, as well as First Amendment retaliation for the officer's response to Miss Dunlap filming them. Is there a First Amendment right to call a police officer a tyrant? Yes. Does it matter whether he's actually a tyrant or not? No. Does it matter whether you're a pastor standing out in front of your church or a homeless guy with a cardboard sign? No. But we all know that law enforcement has difficulty with accurately identifying the real reasons that they do things.
0: All right. On the show today, we have John H Bryan, civil rights attorney, constitutional activist, blogger and YouTuber. We appreciate his videos have covered multiple cases that he has covered as well. Uh, attorney, good day, welcome.
1: Great to be here, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for being here, man. When you were breaking down the, the video just now, I was reminded of civil procedure. So I'm currently in law school and learning about the dynamics of constitutionality as it relates to policing in America is quite fascinating. The police violate it all the time. What made you get into this line of lawyering in the first
1: place? Well, probably my origin story goes back to I grew up in Florida. Some of my earliest memories having to do with law enforcement were observing my father get pulled, getting pulled over by the police. And my, my father was a, is a great guy and he he was an orthopedic surgeon, very well respected in the community. But it was a stark contrast to see what the way he was treated by law enforcement. And I, I grew up in that environment that when I started driving, I personally experienced being harassed by the police. Um, then went to college, I had a friend of mine get a DUI even though we had been return, we had returned from the library. I knew he hadn't been drinking, he blew a 0.00 once he was already incarcerated. So that sort of built it up inside me this sort of like, yeah, one day I want to be a lawyer and I, I want to sue the police and or I want to do whatever. And then came the opportunity to apply for a job at the Department of Justice, and I sort of told them that story in my interview. And then one day they called me and they're like, "Hey John, how would you like to come investigate police officers?" And I was like, "I would, I would like to do that." And so that was that was how I first got into it. And then when I went out and practiced in West Virginia, I I just sort of I knew I wanted to do work like that. I didn't think it would be available, but I was wrong. So. You always get crazy phone calls as a lawyer, but I started really taking those those calls and investigating those cases from day one in my practice. And also practicing criminal defense at the same time, and they overlap a lot. So yeah. to make a long story short, that's how I ended up kind of where I am now.
0: Attorney Brown, let me pose something to you because I find it to be quite ironic. We cover a lot of police misconduct on Indisputable. Some of those, many of those stories are exclusive. So we get the video in advance, nobody else has it. We review it and then we provide the context for it. What I've seen and it's really connected to law enforcement like no other industry. Individuals who are practitioners inside of law enforcement, they tend to break the law intentionally. So many of them when they break the law, they're doing it with the knowledge that they are breaking the law or violating the rights of a citizen. Compare that to other professions. If you are a medical doctor and you intentionally break the law, you don't see that kind of, the connection doesn't exist in other professions like it does in law enforcement. I don't understand why somebody would go into law enforcement and not like law enforcement or not like the element of enforcing the law. Keep this in mind brother, if somebody tells the cop what the law is, and if they're right, the lawyer gets, I mean, the cop gets mad. They're not happy you know the law. If you tell your medical doctor something that you know about, that's a medical fact. Most of the time the doctor is happy that you know something about a medical fact, right? But not the police. Why do you think there's such a difference in the industry of policing? What cops seem to be antithetical to the notion of law?
1: Well, I think it's just a product of them being in an environment with absolutely zero accountability. Unlike doctors who are compelled to be responsible for their mistakes, police officers live in an environment where there's no accountability whatsoever because they have qualified immunity, and and it, that's like doctors, um, you know, having some defense mechanism where yeah they accidentally cut off the wrong arm. But it was kind of they meant well. It was a good faith sort of mistake, so there's no liability there. So the person's just out of luck. I mean that's absurd for every other profession, right? Every other line of work, every other industry. Yet it exists in law enforcement, and mm-hmm. that's such an important one that impacts us, all, you know, around the country. And there's no accountability. I mean that is ninety. of the problem that we have in law enforcement today, in my opinion, is the existence of qualified immunity and a complete lack of accountability.
0: During the previous presidential campaign, every Democrat ran on the platform of police reform. And even some Republicans echoed sentiments of police reform. As a matter of fact, 96% of Americans believe that police reform is necessary on some level. I'm not talking about Um, justice reform, we're talking about police reform. All right, 96% of Americans say we got to do something about it. The reality is not much is being done. Where do you think this fell off the track? Where do we go wrong? How did this happen? How did this become normative in American culture?
1: Well, I call this the Bermuda Triangle of politics because honestly, the, the left and the right, should find some common ground here because they just don't realize that they should agree on this issue. And you ask, where did we go wrong? I'll tell you exactly where we went wrong. Shortly after the Civil War. You know, when the founding fathers created this country, there was no such thing as Thomas Jefferson getting pulled over in his carriage on the way to, to Philadelphia. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing that the possession of any object, including a plant, could be illegal in our country at the founding of our country. Possession possession laws were not a thing. Where did that start? After the Civil War, everything changed after the Civil War. I think our first possession law came about in the 1870s. And if I recall correctly, the first drug possession law was from California and it was meant to harm the Chinese population because they had these opium dens. So that was like the first drug possession law was really um, just uh, to attack the the Chinese population. But it just got worse and worse and worse. because old people vote and old people like to feel safe and politicians like to get the votes of, of those individuals. So it compounded. So whereas in seventeen ninety one we had like twenty federal crimes, you know, treason, murder, just you know, the obvious. Fast forward to now we have five thousand plus federal crimes. Okay, and several thousand more in every state. I mean, we, are, we have over criminalized our country. We have over criminalized and that is, that's a political topic that should be common ground for both the right and the left because it's its the government who's benefiting from that. It's the politicians who are benefiting from that. And it's, it's the people on both ends of the spectrum, politically, who suffer.
0: Let's talk about qualified immunity. I agree with you 100%, it's a ridiculous notion, needs to be eliminated. The George Floyd Policing and Accountability Act in its original version would have chipped away at this qualified immunity dynamic. Some states have passed laws to lessen the barrier or lower it, but it is still present. That kind of immunity, as you suggest, has created a culture that allows for no accountability. And in that kind of culture you're able to do things in the extreme and not be held accountable for doing so. And I'm reminded of the instances attorney, when a cop shoots an unarmed person in the back and that cop says, "Oh, I thought I was shooting my taser, right? We've seen those cases. And I remember debating someone on this issue and getting beyond the training that's required. The fact that it's a different weight, it's a different color. It has a different trigger grip. It's on the different side of your body, all right? All of these differences. At the end of the day, do we have any instances where a cop made the mistake the other way? Meaning they meant to grab their gun, but instead they grabbed their taser. And because of that, the person is alive. No, we don't have one of those instances on the record. And so I can only conclude that one or two things are happening here. Either number one, some of these cops lying about what actually happened, or number two, they have such indifference about the life in front of them. They don't really care or instinctively think they should grab a gun and kill them. What has your practice seen as it relates to police violence, especially against unarmed people of color?
1: Well, I do practice in West Virginia, so the majority of incidents I deal with involve white people. But now, not not all of them, and, and especially in one area of the state, I've I've had quite a few, and, and, and recently, I've had a quite quite a few that I believe that there are racial components to it. But I don't I don't believe that the racial component to any of this, and my experience in West Virginia that has taught me this. It's that law enforcement, while there may be, there may be. Um, race bias all over the country with law enforcement and elsewhere they are equal opportunity aggressors police officers they will you know they don't necessarily care about your skin color the most important thing to them is that it's hammered into their head that you are a potential threat and they need to go home safely that night and yeah, I think it's a training issue first and foremost if, if you were to look into the law enforcement police academies, I guarantee you they scare these people to death, they show them video after video after video of these tragedies where police officers are shot at traffic stops and whatnot. And the idea behind it is to pound it into their head that you know they could be shot and killed at, at any moment. But what they're doing is they're just creating somebody who's always on a hair trick. And they're treating every person they encounter as somebody who might try to murder them at any second. And, and that's just taking common sense out of the equation because as private citizens when we carry a firearm in public, we can't just fly off the handle. We can't have the hair trigger. Yeah. We have, to, we have to act very carefully and they don't have to do that.
0: I'm going to respectfully disagree with you on one issue and that is the issue of bias and how it permeates beyond the officer. So we've reported on many stories where naturally there was a racial component. We've also reported on many stories where the white individual received the benefit of the doubt. And they were not killed. As a matter of fact, they should have been based on the actual scenario. One a white male actually stabbed a police officer. They work in a way collectively to reserve preserve his life. And we've seen this happen even in simple traffic stops where A woman was able to use a white privilege card and the white officer laughed about it and did not even ask for a driver's license, even though she was likely drunk based on her swerving. So we've seen these instances play out. We know racial bias exists, but I will also highlight what my dear brother out of Ithaca, New York said, the former mayor. He said, literally, it's about aggression. It's not just racism. If you find a person who has a nine on the scale of aggression, they have a nine aggression factor, they are likely to do something wrong while being a police. Um, if a person is not on the racist spectrum, but they are one on the aggression spectrum, they are probably not going to do something um, while on duty. That would be questionable. So we have seen that as well. So I understand your point that it's not uh, apples to apples all the time, but definitely racial bias plays into policing all across the country. Uh, before you go, I appreciate your time today. Tell people how they can follow you. Check out your work.
1: Um, you can check me out on YouTube. YouTube. My channel is the Civil Rights Lawyer. You can also check out my website at thecivilrightslawyer.com.
0: All right. We appreciate the work you do. Thank you for that information. You continue to provide on your YouTube channel.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely.